Uh, let's look back at 1 Corinthians tonight, chapter 12 and 13. Back in these verses this evening again. 1 Corinthians 12. I'm just going to begin tonight in verse 31. And I just want to read the verses again. At least a number of them here. A few before we, before we pick back up in a message. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 31. We began this morning to preach on the subject of the greatest spiritual gift. The greatest spiritual gift. That is God's love in us and given by us to others. Paul says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And, and I want to point out here, now, if you go back in chapter 12, and Paul talks about all those gifts, if you go to, I believe, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's saying, hey, want good gifts. You know, it's okay to want God to give you spiritual gifts so that you can serve Him. That's a good thing to do. But he says, I show unto you a more excellent way. This is the very best way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Charity never faileth. Love never fails. This is God's Word. This is where we left off this morning. But my initial thought tonight, right now, is how do we even move on from any of that? I mean, there's so much more to think on here in these verses. The primacy of love is clear throughout the Scriptures. It begins with God's love for us and our love for Him. His is perfect, ours not so much. But it is there nonetheless. The love of God is in us. And thank God for the grace that brings that love to us. Brother Buddy and I were reflecting for a moment after the morning service. The love of God is an amazing and, 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 and difficult thing to even begin to comprehend. And I don't feel like a very loving person a lot of times, but I know God's love is in me by simply thinking this thought. What would you be like tonight if it weren't for God's love? Some of you just, <laughs> your mind could trace that path to where you'd be and the way you'd be living right now, or the way you'd respond to things in the world. To people, oh, God's love is real in our heart, and we can be thankful for that. John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 19, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. I'm going to do this like a real thing here as a practical exercise. That's a good thing to underline tonight. I want to come back to that thought. God is love. So that's an important part of this. 
And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Let me just say, again, I think you understand where I'm coming from when I say, boy, this is hard to preach on, because I fail at this every day. But this verse tells me that when I dwell in God, I'm dwelling in His love, and that gives me boldness for the day of judgment. I don't have to uh, look at myself and look at my imperfections and my failures and say, boy, I'm unworthy, but I can look at Christ who is worthy, and in Christ alone, as they sung about tonight, I stand perfect before God. Because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. No fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So take the pressure off. It's okay to admit we don't love God as good as we should. But thank God we love him tonight, and we love him because he first loved us. Go ahead and love him. You got permission to do that, and love him in the best way you can the best way you know how, and long to love Him more, and love Him deeper, and love Him in more real ways. A basic definition of the world's love that I gave you this morning is this. It's a selfish expression of desire based on my perceived needs or interests. It's a kind of love wherein I do because it best suits me in some way. I say that I love you, but it's actually selfishness masquerading as love. That's, that's the world's kind of love. Now, that's a natural, carnal, sort of innate way we love. And we don't even mean bad by it. We don't even realize we're doing it. We think we're doing it all for the other person, but when we take the mask off, we realize there's a lot of things we're doing, and it's really up for myself. Well, then what is God's agape love? God's agape love can be defined as a self-sacrificing gift of my whole person for the needs of another person. To give all that I am and all that I have to another person's needs, and my needs have no bearing in that. Just as God loves us. In the same way that Deuteronomy 7 told us, I loved you because I love you. Did anybody go back and read that today? You don't have to raise your hand. If you haven't, you still got a homework assignment. God said, I love you because I love you. Isn't that wonderful? How would you like to have a world full of people that just love you because they love you? You don't have to earn it, and there's nothing you can do to earn it. They just love you. And God said, I love you because I love you, and I choose to love you because my love is what delivers you. My love is what rescues you. And remember, Psalm 50 says, when you will call upon the Lord in your day of trouble, He'll deliver you, and you'll glorify Him. God loves us because His love of us brings glory to Him. I'm all right with that. How about you? <laughs> I'll take it. And so... That's the kind of love that we are to learn to offer to each other. Boy, that's hard. That's not easy. We were talking about that in the living room this afternoon a little bit. How hard that is. The last thing I said this morning was that to get this right in our life, we've got to go back to where it all begins. And it all begins with Jesus. For you and me, it all begins with Jesus. I mean, there is nothing without Christ. There's nothing uh, it, except for Jesus, we'd still be just Gentiles out there lost in the world. 
But we go back to Jesus. He's the example of everything. And Jesus tells us who to love and how to love, and he tells us the pathway to this true love. Now I want you to think for a moment about the commandments of love that Jesus gave us. The commandments of love. I tell you, if you just had certain portions of the Bible to hold on to, uh, these verses are enough to keep you busy the rest of your life. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40. They came and said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And listen to this. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Do you know that you and I are expected to live according to God's law? But it's not complicated, is it? I didn't say it was easy, but it's not complicated. It's just two things. Love God with all you've got. Love God above all and with all you have. That's number one. And number two is love your neighbor as yourself. Now I want to talk about both of those and then talk about a couple other commands Jesus gave. He says, love God above all with your all. That starts in Deuteronomy 6, 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there again here in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, Jesus teaches us this. What does that even look like to love God with all that I am? I sat at my desk at the house and thought about that this afternoon. What does that even look like? To love God with all that I am. I think it looks something like God's heart matters more than anyone else's, including my own. I think that's what loving God with all that I am means. It means that God's first, not first place, God is first. He's every place. He's all my places. All my springs are in thee. He's my all in all. God's heart matters more than anybody else's heart. But you know the wonderful thing about that? When God's heart really matters more than anybody else's heart in my heart, then my heart will treat your heart right. Boy, that's hard to do, though. <laughs> Why? Because we don't love God as we should first. That's where it begins. We've got to love God with all our heart. I thought about what does that look like. I think it looks like this. I'm not in charge of my life because I've surrendered it completely to God. Now, don't just let that be a, a sentence that goes in one ear and out the other. Think about what that means. I have completely surrendered my life to God. I'm not in charge of my life. Now, I couldn't stand here in good conscience or even try to fool myself about it. For the last 20, almost 26 years, I have not done everything the way God wanted me to do it. But I can stand here and say for the last 26 years, I've surrendered, I surrendered my life to Christ 26, almost 26 years ago. And I can tell you that for these 26 years, I have sought to follow Him and do His will and go wherever He wants me to go. And, and sometimes it's hard, but it's always best. And, and that's what loving God with all your heart means. And you know, we want to get better at that. Better at that. What does this look like? I think it means... I want to be where he is, always. I don't have to push this illustration too hard, but boy, when Athena and I were dating, I mean, when, when she finally convinced me to say yes, I meant the other way around. I got to tell you, I wanted to be everywhere she was. I wanted to know what she was doing all the time. Matter of fact, for months, 
I stalked her and harassed her and called her before she ever said yes. And even then I wanted to know where she was and what she was doing. And I think that's what loving God with all your heart is. I think you want to be wherever He is all the time. I want to be with Him. I think it means true love, true love for God means devotion. Devotion. I, I, I'm, I'm His and He is mine. It means fidelity. It means that I will have no other gods in my life. And I'm just going to tell you that tonight, that, that's a battle, isn't it? That's a battle. Idolatry is a real thing that real Christians have real fights with. And you're not probably bowing down to wooden statues and, and stone monuments, but you've got things in your life that want to take, take, take your affection from God. And we have to fight those things all the time. But loving God with all my heart means devotion and fidelity and attention and desire and submission. Listen to Jesus' words in John chapter 12, verse 24 and 26. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Matter of fact, if it just falls on top of the ground and lays there, the chickens will get it. Yeah, but if it falls into the ground and dies, what happens? It brings forth much fruit. Now that's the kind of life that Jesus says we ought to have in Him. We ought to just go into Him and die to ourselves, and we'll bring forth a lot of fruit. A lot of fruit. But listen to this. He goes on to say, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, listen, let him follow me, and where I am, where I am, there shall also my servant be. That's what loving God with all your heart looks like. It, it's, it's following Him and desiring to be with Him and serve Him and always be close. And the question tonight is, do we love God this way? Oh, I don't mean perfectly. We all know the answer to that. But does your heart long to love God this way? To make it so, to be so that you wake up with Him in the morning, you walk with Him through the day, and you go to bed with Him at night. Wouldn't that be a wonderful way to live? And, and, and we just lay down and we go to sleep and we just trust everything to Him. Love God with all your heart. Now, we could just preach a whole night and a whole week on that one thought. But Jesus also said that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The key to this, this love of loving your neighbor is compassion. Compassion. And, and compassion is something that we have to receive from God before we can give it to someone else. So that's why the first commandment is to love God with all your heart, and then we can love our neighbor the way that we should. And the, the definitive teaching of Jesus on, on this truth is the story of the Good Samaritan. And in that story, we find the answer to the question, who is my neighbor? Remember, that's what they said. Well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the, the man that was traveling down the road to Jericho and he was uh, beaten up, almost killed and robbed and left in the side uh, ditch. And the priest and the Levite came by and ignored him and had nothing to do with him. But that Samaritan came by, a despised man who would have nothing to do, Jews would have nothing to do with him and under normal circumstances they would have nothing to do with each other but he saw someone that had a need and he loved that man. He ministered to that man and Jesus said, which one of them was the neighbor? Now there's a lot of good teaching to come out of that because it's important to understand and, and this will be true for some people in this room. 
And I know it's true for some people that aren't in this room that I know, okay? But you know people like this too. There are certain people that are very driven and very passionate and very emotional and, and, and they need to understand you can't love everybody. Now, what do you mean by that, preacher? We're supposed to love everybody. I, I would challenge you to find me a, a chapter and verse on that and bring it to me tonight. I'll even give you the week. Now, you might, you might find one that, you know, would say, well, preacher, I, think that, I, don't, I, I don't think you will because I don't think it's possible to love everybody. What do you mean by that, preacher? How, how can we not love everybody? You see, if love is action... As we learn from Jesus in that story about the Good Samaritan, it's direct action. And if love is direct action, I can't possibly love someone that I don't know or that I have no access to. But you think about it, there's a lot of people in this world that, man, they just want to love everybody and they want to fix everything. And if we think we can love everybody, we're back to dabbling in love as just an emotion, as a feeling. And love is never, now, now love will feel, you'll feel, you can feel love, but love's not a feeling. Love is always direct action, it's always compassion, it's always giving of ourselves to someone in need. And that's why Jesus says, love your neighbor. And when the question is, who is my neighbor, we may think, well, my neighbor's the guy that lives next door to me. Well, the neighbor may be the guy that is in the desk next to yours at work. The neighbor may be the guy at the stoplight next to you that's, you know, playing that music. And you're thinking, I'd like to reach over there. Well, you're not loving your neighbor. Right? Jesus said we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that when we haven't been loving God like we should. Now, I mean, that's not, that's not like a hammer drop. That's just reality. When we're not loving God as we should, it's hard to love our neighbor. You know, the closest neighbors you've got are the people that live inside the same walls as you. Oh, it's hard to love them sometimes, isn't it? But you'll get people that they want to help everybody and fix everything, and they end up helping nobody. They end up helping nothing. Because they're so concerned with the hurting over there and the hurting over there and the hurting down yonder that they bypass the one hurting right in front of them. You know, a lot of preachers are that way. I can, I can say that. I know preachers. As they say, I is one. And it's easy to get fixated on that thing over there and forget the thing right here. And I'll tell you something, uh, just as a, a, maybe a word of love from my heart to you, something that I've learned in the last few years and I'm getting deeper and more committed to, I, I, just, I love you. I love you and you're my focus. I, got no, I, I don't have a lot of focus anywhere else. It's just right here. And if I'm not right here, I'm somewhere thinking about right here. And, and I'm okay with that because I can't love everybody. I can't help everybody, but I can do what God's called me to do. And the same is true for you. Now, let me say something about this. How we love our neighbor, compassion is always in Jesus attached to action. And I just want to emphasize that. When you read in the New Testament, in the Gospels, every time you read about Jesus and compassion, you'll see this phrase or something like it. He was moved with compassion. Now, that's not multiple words in the Greek. That's one word. I ain't even going to try to pronounce it. It's about that long. It is a super big word. I don't even know how you say words like that. But it, it's one word that is translated in English. He was moved with compassion. The point being, 
that the definition or the idea behind it is, is the yearn, the bowels are yearning. There's a stirring on the inside, but what it always did, it started and stirred on the inside and it moved to an action on the outside. That's compassion. Now we can do things with no, I mean, we can do things with no inner burning, right? No inner yearning. I mean, I can show up at Chips, Brother Eddie, and I can walk around, hang flyers on the door, and I can do whatever you ask me to do and have no compassion for those people, and I have not loved them a bit. Just being there is not love. I wish I could say that I've never done anything in ministry like that, but I can't say that. There's been more times than I want to even think about that I've showed up and went through the motions, but there was no love. I'm glad for the grace of God. <laughs> you know, God can take old loveless Christians like us and like we are sometimes and still do things with us. Man, I tell you, that's, that's just a blessing to think about. But we want to have that kind of love in our heart. He said, and, and I want to move on, but let me, let me not miss this part. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. Now, I want to say something about that. You cannot love your neighbor well unless you learn to love yourself well. And I believe that that is an overlooked and under-addressed issue in the church. I believe a lot of us are people that are deeply hurt and we struggle with our own self and our self-image and shoot, we've even been taught we shouldn't even think about that stuff. Don't think about, you know, self-image and don't, you know, don't think about, you know, what's going on in your mind and, you know, getting, no, they're, they're, you're, God made all of it. God made all of it and it's not just the outside that gets broken sometimes. Sometimes the inside gets broken. And I believe a lot of people sit in church services all the time, people who love God, and they're trying their best to love their neighbor, but they're having a hard time loving themselves, and it, it hinders, makes it hard. But Jesus said we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. How are we to love ourselves? You know, you hear me often speak against the self, right? And, and I told you not too long ago, I always capitalize that in any notes that I make, S-E-L-F in capitals, the self. That's the bad, that's the carnal, that's the flesh. And that self is to be put down. We don't love that self, that part of us. But when I speak of myself, or as Jesus says, to love your neighbor as yourself, I need to understand who that person is. Who is that person that I'm supposed to love? My neighbor, yes, but myself. Well, who is that person? Well, he's one who's made in the image of God. And I have an incredible, intrinsic, and eternal value because I am made in the image of God. And it doesn't matter what's happened to me. It doesn't matter what anybody said about me. It doesn't matter how anybody has disappointed me or hurt me. And it doesn't matter what I've done to them. I, I, I don't mean by that it doesn't matter in the sense that those things don't affect us. What I mean is it doesn't change that I have this incredible, intrinsic, eternal value because I'm made in the image of God. Who is this person I'm to love? It's one for whom Jesus suffered all of the agony of sin and crucifixion and separation from His Father. Jesus went through all of that for you, just as you are, just as broken and as hurting as you are. You look in the mirror and you see a person you don't like much. Let me tell you what you see when you look in the mirror and see a person you don't like much. You're seeing the lie. Oh, I, I, I said something to Brother Buddy at the funeral the other day. I said, boy, there's a mystery here that I, I want to learn the depths of. But I look too many times at my false self. I see the shell. I see the part that is ugly. But if I could learn to see as Jesus sees, 
If I could learn to see who I am as the one that Paul said is seated together with Christ in heavenly places, not later, but now. If I could learn to see the one that Paul sees who says, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. If I could see him more, oh, I would see something. Something I could love. Not because of me, but because of who is in me. One for whom Jesus suffered. When I love myself, I'm to love one whom God calls beloved. One whom God does not give up on. Have you ever thought about giving up on yourself? Have you ever thought about quitting? You know quit's a four-letter word. I don't use a lot of four-letter words. Not the bad kind, but that's a bad one I've thrown around a time or two. Through the years, I've thought about it. I'm just going to quit. He never quits and never gives up on us. So when I love myself, how do I do that? I value what God values in me and who I truly am. Not the false self that I look in the mirror and I'm disappointed in. I can't change the fact that the wrinkles are coming and the hair's turning gray. Why, just the other day I was young. How do I love myself? I extend grace and kindness to my own soul. That's hard to do. Nobody's harder on you than you are. It's hard to be gracious to ourselves. It's easy to kick ourselves. It's easy to beat ourselves up because we see those unfinished parts and those parts that are not lovely and those parts we wish we could change. I'm too short, I'm too tall, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm too old, I'm too young. I'm not handsome enough. I watch a movie that's got Robert Redford in it and I say, boy, I bet if he ever saw a picture of me, he'd be jealous. I'm, I'm, I'm appealing to the older crowd right now. No, it's the opposite, right? You look at all these glamorous people and you say, why, why am I made like I'm made? Let me tell you something about you. Every time you look at you and you're disappointed in you, you're looking at the false you. And every time you let what other people think about you dominate your thoughts, you're operating from the false you. And it's hard. I know it's hard, but we have to learn how to love ourselves because of who we are in Christ. You see, one day all the shell will be gone. One day all the false will be gone. I will be glorious. And as I said this morning, you'll say, who are you? <laughs> How do I love myself? I don't expect more of myself than I'm able to give. Now some of you, this is, you're pretty good with this. You're balanced. You know kind of what your limits are. But some of you, you just push yourself and you just try. Some of you are pleasers. Some of you, you feel like a failure if you think anybody is disappointed in you. Well, I got news for you. Lots of people are disappointed in you. It's just a fact. You know why? Because they're messed up too. And when I'm disappointed in you, you know what I need to do? I need to look at myself a little while. Because we all got problems. And don't expect more out of yourself than you're able to give. God doesn't. He expects that you're going to need Him to do everything. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So we need Him for everything. How do I love myself? I don't dismiss myself. I don't disrespect myself because I'm not this or that. 
I don't look at another and compare myself to them and say, well, I'm not as good or as lovely or as talented or as meaning, as important. You know, James talks about this, James 2.8, and he says, when you love your neighbor as yourself, you fulfill the royal law. That's the royal law, he said. And in the context there, what he was saying was, if someone walks into your assembly and, and they're dressed in you know, rags and you tell them, you just sit back here, and then somebody walks in with gold rings and finery and you say, oh, please, come, sit up here. He said, that, that, that's wrong, that's sin. You're, you're, you're being prejudiced. And he says, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Don't be fooled by the outside, by the false. We're all broken people. But i got to tell you, I, I learned my own definition of contrition. You know that word in the Bible, contrite, God uh, loves. He'll respond to that contrite heart. My definition of contrition is this, I am a mess but I am a broken, beautiful mess. That's contrition. Live with that spirit. Live with that attitude. It'll change your life. Now, once you've learned how to do that for yourself, you turn and you do that for your neighbor. You treat them the same way. <laughs> Man, can I just go ahead and say it? This is like graduate-level Christianity right here. This isn't the simple, easy stuff that, you know, we just kind of fall out of bed and it happens. This is stuff we work on, we work at. Well, I have no time to go any further tonight, but let me close with Romans 13. Owe no man anything. This is verse 8 through 10. Owe no man anything but to love one another. That's it. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly co comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Would you be mad at me if I borrowed two more minutes? I won't get through all this. But I, I'm looking at the third one, and I think it would be wrong to close without at least acknowledging it. Jesus not only said to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbors ourselves, but in John 13, what a moment. Have I ever said before how much I love John 13 through 17? Boy, if you ever get in a place where you are feeling bleh or like disgusted with people or God or life, you go to John and start reading chapter 13 through 17 and you will not come out of there with the flesh <laughs> alive. That'll crucify the flesh every time. Jesus says in John 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you. Now, I, I don't want to try to explain all that or, or add to anything that's not there, but Jesus has already told us the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbors yourself. But when he says... A new commandment I give unto you. I think it was Jesus and his prerogative as the bridegroom and the, and the king and Lord, the one who was the shepherd who was about to become the sacrifice. I believe it was his prerogative to say to his church, I give you a new commandment. And what was it? He said that ye love one another as I have loved you. That ye love one another as I have loved you. And uh, 
I got to thinking about that this afternoon. What does that even mean? What does that look like? That ye also love one another, which is the mark that all men will recognize you as my disciples by. What does that mean? What does that look like? And I think 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8 is a good place to go, but I think it looks like humiliation in a cross. But I got to thinking, what does it look like for me to love you the way that Jesus has loved all of us? Sometimes it looks like inviting others into the journey, saying, come on, follow me, come with me. I think that's what loving you like Jesus loves us means. It's not saying to a person, nope, you're not welcome here. No, no place for you over here. You just stay in your spot. We'll call you if we need you. Jesus was always saying, come. Come on. I got something for you. What does it look like? I think sometimes it looks like correcting mistakes and rebuking wrong spirits. Sometimes Jesus said to James and John, you have no idea what spirit you're of, boys. Sometimes it's turning to Peter and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Sometimes that's what loving each other the way Jesus loves us looks like. And I need somebody to call me out sometimes. Sometimes it looks like washing feet. Taking off the finery and rolling up our sleeves and serving somebody. Sometimes it means holding a cup and a straw in a hospital room so they can drink water. Sometimes... It means I'm decreasing and he's increasing. I think sometimes it looks like taking the licks and saying nothing in return. Now we're getting into really heavy stuff. Because, <laughs> oh boy, don't we want to tell them what we think? I don't mean, I'm not a preacher saying he says we, but he really means us. No, don't we want to tell them what we think? But sometimes loving each other like Jesus loves us means taking the licks and saying nothing. Sometimes it looks like cooking fish on the beach and restoring a brother in love. Come on over and let's talk about this. Jesus ever taken you somewhere and, and, uh, and done that for you? Nothing greater. I don't know of a greater experience than to be lonely and to feel ashamed and to be called close and have my heart restored by the one who gave his all for me and who never gives up on me. And if we learn to love each other as he loved us, we will learn to never turn our back on each other. It's hard. I told you this morning this is hard to preach because it's really hard to live. But we got to go for it. Now, I want to close with this. The same thing I said this morning. This only becomes real, and there's much more that I would like to say. The last part of 1 Corinthians 13 talks about looking and being transformed and, and seeing through a glass darkly and then face to face, there's a transformation happening in our life all the time. You aren't the man or woman you used to be. 
That transformation is changing us. I'm not the man I was a year ago. I'm not the man I was six months ago. I'm going to be, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not the man I was three weeks ago. I've had definitive, transformative change in my life. And God longs to do that for us. And what do we need to do? Ask for it and surrender to it.